This is Continuum Drag, a weekly podcast revisiting television, sci-fi, fantasy, and everything in between. This week, Sleepwalkers, Episode 9. This, this is Nicholas Keltz. This is the guy Stephen King reads and then can't sleep. Horror has just never been my cup of tea. Oh, come on, Nathan. Dream of Reason, where the kid's mutating into all kinds of grotesque shapes, and he's he's killing off his family members one by one, but it's in his head. I, I, it's in the kid's head because his parents have locked him in the basement and they're slowly starving him. I've been reading this guy's stuff since I was 12. Welcome to Continuum Drag, the podcast coming to you from MonsterCon 91. <laughs> I'm Luke, here with my co-host Jordan. What's real, Jordan? I'll tell you, before we even started recording this episode, I looked at what the synopsis was for the episode, and I decided in my head John Lithgow was going to play the part of the writer, and then I had decided that was actually what was going to be, and then I was really disappointed that he wasn't the writer in this episode. You uh, you caused yourself cognitive dissonance. And then... Exactly. But he would have been great, huh? Yeah, absolutely. As listeners who have listened to all of Sleepwalkers know, we are... Fast forwarded, we've taken the escape pod. We are now in the final episode, or our best guess at what probably was going to be the final episode of Sleepwalkers. Mm-hmm. Could be wrong. Could have been one of the other two we skipped past. Hard yeah. to say. <laughs> did you look at the uh, the storylines of the ones we skipped? Um, I did, did you? Not really. Well, do you want to guess what they are? I'll tell you the titles and you can tell me what you sure. think they might be. Yeah, sure. So the two we skipped past are one was called Past Imperfect. What do you think that might have been, Jordan? I'm going to guess it's one of the characters, their past comes back to haunt them. So let's guess it's Nathan. He hasn't had an episode in a while. Nathan has someone from his past, probably a family member, or uh, maybe maybe that guy, the Ray Weiss character, has come back and uh, is altering the future somehow. You're so close, it's disgusting. Really? A family member does come back into the fold. It is related to Bradford, but it is his coma wife's father comes back and wants to visit her in her coma. <laughs> So his his stepfather wants to visit the coma father-in-law father-in-law uh but i mean that would make sense it's weird that he has her you know strapped up to all those it's very weird that he's not allowing her father to come visit her but apparently (laughs) typical bradford apparently when they go into the dream they realize something's wrong with the father i don't know Mm. why i was pretty close you were very close uh and the other one was a episode called cassandra I'm hoping it's like a, a film noir-esque episode where Ben gets to go into someone's dream, but everything's like from the 30s for some reason, and he ends up falling in love with a woman, but she's really just a part of someone else's subconscious, so it will never work out. I mean, further off on this one, but it is a Costigan episode, so you're close. Ben Costigan special episode. Mm-hmm. A schizophrenic dreams his <laughs> son is going to die, and they have to figure out whether it's a premonition of the death of his son. That's terrible. That sounds like a terrible episode. I'm glad we skipped it. I think that might have been the other option for the last episode, but I, this one was, I'm glad we watched this one instead. No, I do too. This is, again, you have to always uh, have like a disclaimer. It's it's not good, but I think this is the most fun they've attempted in an episode. Well, before we get into it, Jordan, just to drag this on longer for you, just to keep you here as long as I humanly can, mm-hmm. I've got a new game. I've created a new game for you. Great. 150 hours or so into it, a new game. It's true. Now, you know what, do you know what an EGOT is? It, it's some sort of award, right? It's someone who has won an Emmy, a Grammy, an Oscar, and a Tony. Ah, uh, okay. The the big the big four? Is that what the it is? The big four. Uh-huh. You know it. You love it. Uh-huh. I EGOT. Have, 
I have I have recreated this in uh, our own image. I'm calling it an okay. <laughs> That's pretty good. It is. Uh, I'm gonna. I've looked at the entire like creative team. That just being directors, writers, and creators of this program, this television program, mm-hmm. and it is. We're, you're going to guess the number of awards they've won in the following four award categories for the OKs, uh, the Oscars, the Emmys, the Hugos, and any Canadian award that exists. <laughs> so, so just just O-C-E-H. so I know. C E H. Just so I know off the top, the answer is not going to be zero for all these, right? I don't know. It might be. <laughs> okay. Um. So here we go. How many of the writers, directors, and creators of this show, how many Oscars between them do you think have been won? I'd love to say zero, but I'm going to guess one. Any particular person you think might have won one? Or is it you're just hoping it's just one? I bet you someone in the writing category won an Oscar. All right. How many Emmys do you think have been won by this team? I'm going to say two Emmys, and I think a director and a writer have won an Emmy. Okay. How many Hugos do you think they've won? Since we're a sci-fi podcast, you got to throw the Hugos in there. I'd be surprised it won any. I'm going to say zero. All right. And how many uh, Canadian film and TV awards of any kind? <laughs> I'm going to guess 16. <laughs> this was not shot in Canada, I don't think. <laughs> 16. All right. You're right on the Oscars. There's one Oscar winner. Who was that? Uh, it was uh, Steve Gaghan, writer of um, the Smiling Man episode, the one with the ch- kids and the dead kid in the lake. Wow. Humble beginnings. Won an Oscar for traffic. <laughs> what a... that I mean, good for him. What a difference. Later wrote and directed Syriana. He has a huge career now. <laughs> wow. And he, he owes it all to Smiling Man. He owes it all to Smiling Man. Emmys? I believe you said two? Two. Mm-hmm. There were five Emmys amongst this group. Wow. Uh, that Steve Gagan had one for uh, writing on NYPD Blue. Mm-hmm. Uh, the writer-creator Stephen Cornish won one for 24. Mm-hmm. And then David Nutter, I believe his name is, he won an Emmy for uh, Game of Thrones and Bad- Band of Brothers. He's a- as a director. And I think someone else won one, but perhaps I didn't write it down. But anyway, five Emmys, whatever. Pretty good. Uh, Hugo's, you said zero. One Hugo winner. I realize it's David Goyer, right? No, no. David Goyer mm. never won a Hugo. Uh, it is that director David Nutter again for Game of Thrones once more. Oh, so that that guy's the real standout star of this show. Well, director-wise, for sure. I yeah. think the Oscar winner is probably the standout star. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. I did forget about that. <laughs> and then Canadian Award winners, not 16, my friend. Only two. Uh, one of the directors, Jeff Woolnut, he won two DGC Team Awards. <laughs> I love how that's only really amusing to you and I. I mean, he basically shared an award with a whole bunch of people on the team of, the, of these two Canadian shows. One was Being Erica, and the other was a TV movie called Jack, about uh, late poli- politician Jack Layton. I don't remember the Jack movie, but I do remember uh, Being Erica. And she showed up in a show, didn't she? The actress yeah, she was that? in Bionic Woman. That's right. Yeah, yeah. But yes, you uh, not bad. You got the Oscar. That's pretty good. It was the uh, Canadian awards that I really... Uh... I really whiffed on i mean you if this was shot in canada 16 would be likely but it wasn't so you really weren't were all over the place it does feel like it was shot in canada though doesn't doesn't this feel like a classic vancouver joint 
I mean, it would make sense, but uh, I the the scenery is not right. They didn't go to enough right. forests. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> oh, and one last thing. I was uh, speaking to someone about this uh, this week, and um, I realized this show as a whole would have made one pretty decent episode of The X-Files. Like the idea that Mulder and Scully had to go into a dream to solve a case, you'd be like, that's a pretty good episode. But if you stretch it out to an entire series, you get Sleepwalkers. You know what I'm really interested in? Who on earth were you talking about this week? <laughs> just talking at the office. You're just walking around. You know, the show called Sleepwalkers <laughs> from 1997. I keep thinking about it. It doesn't matter if I have the engagement. I just bring it up and go, I need to speak about this. And they just, you know, the eyes gloss over, but it doesn't matter. Dead-faced coworker staring at you. That's right. It doesn't matter. I still get it out. All right. Here's the IMDb summary for episode nine. I've seen it written in two different title versions. It's either sub-subconscious or just subconscious. Hard I to wrote sub-subconscious because that sounds funnier. It does sound funnier. And I think at some point in the episode, they do say sub-subconscious, which I'm like, okay. A horror novelist has reoccurring nightmares of being killed by a monster from the book he's trying to finish writing. The team learns that another author already tried to finish it, only to end up killing himself. Yeah. Better synopsis than maybe what comes out of it, but uh, intriguing. (laughs) You're probably right. That is better. It just makes it sound like the book killed the guy, which is not the case. (laughs) No, no. It's this weird entity. Um, we start off uh, at the spooky home of uh, horror author Nicholas Keltz, mm-hmm. who, again, is not played by John Lithgow. No, uh, he he's he's basically modeled to be sort of a Stephen, Stephen King, yeah. like really popular horror novel, though in this world, Stephen King does exist. And apparently uh, Stephen Kel- or uh, Nicholas Keltz's books scare him so bad that Stephen King's even afraid of his novels. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's funny because they mention it, but. When you hear um, later on, we're going to find out that Vincent is a big fan of his books. And when he sort of describes them, you know, they sort of like, oh, this book and that book. They just sound like goosebumps. <laughs> Honestly, you wanted John Lithgow to be in this. I, I think they should have just gone and got Stephen King. Like, why not? You should have just gone for him. But you know the problem. He would have said, I'll do it under one condition. You have to do it in Maine. And they said, no, yeah, no way. We've, we've got to shoot it at the Bancor Airport. That's the only way we can do it. <laughs> And there are a lot of, like, allusions to Stephen King, because I think in this first scene we have him, ha- like, showing that he has writer's block, and I think what he, in in a very um, Shining-esque way, he's written over and over, no rest for the weary. Yes, yes, we get a little Shining nod on his typewriter. Um, but mm-hmm. yes, this is to say that uh, Kelts is having trouble sleeping. Apparently, he can't get to REM sleep, which is affecting his ability to finish his novel he's working on, because a as he says, all his stories essentially come from his dreams to the extent that, like, in his dreams, he has a version of his home, a dream home, if you will, in which he will go down to his basement where his office is, and he will write his novels in his dreams. And when he wakes up, he will just transcribe the novels he's written in his dreams. So this is his creative process. He will go to sleep, write an entire novel in his dream, wake up, and transcribe that novel. Is it supposed to be that he wrote his entire novel? Because I get the idea that he's been inspired, like he has some sort of weird dream, and then he, you know, adjusts that and makes it into a book. But they do kind of imply that, or maybe more than imply that, he does do what you're doing. He just transposes what he's already written in his dream. But that's that's a, that's a long way to go. It is. I mean, I don't know if he writes the whole novel, but they do imply he types it up, or at least types up the concept in his dreams before he can write it in reality, which... You know what? Fine. One of the better ideas this show has attempted to push on me, but, like, very funny. Mm -hmm. He takes a handful of pills now because it's time to try to go to bed. And as you said, there's allusions to, like, Stephen King. But, there's you know, they're just making every, like, nod to you to let you know 
he, this guy knows horror because he goes to lay down in bed and he picks up an hp lovecraft book yeah, to read yeah. lurker at the threshold exactly and uh, soon he's he's dozing off into his uh this dream house i spoke of um complete with like blood dripping from the walls spooky noises everywhere it's a real scary dream house is it that all of his dreams all the time take place in this house one hondo that's so weird so he because they he doesn't have any other normal dreams they're always just in this in this that's house. what it is he just always goes to his home because that's where he writes all his novels it's so weird anyway um, here, here's what i want you to imagine jordan Imagine every night you go to bed and you wake up in your office and you do your work for the next day. <laughs> I mean, I guess if you're just transposing, it's easy. But man, would you be uh, desperate for something else, like a flying dream, anything? Yeah, you just you just wake up the next morning, then you go to work for real, and you just do the work <laughs> you did in your dream the night before. <laughs> it is funny. <laughs> anyway, he's in his dream house, in his dream. He's laying in bed. And a uh, weird CG tentacle pops out from under the bed and uh, starts to choke him. And he immediately wakes up, like, gasping for breath. And this is his mm-hmm. problem. Is every time he goes to bed, this tentacle tries to choke him out. It's, I guess I, I, I still think it's weird that in his dream... So he goes to sleep in his bed reading the book. He immediately is in his dream state in the exact same bed reading the exact same book. But it's like he's still sleeping in his dream, though. I guess, like, why isn't he awake now? Do you know what I mean? Like... His dream is him dreaming? He's got to wake up in the dream first, I guess. It's, I don't know. It's, it just is his dream. Like, you think he would have some sort of um, moments of being lucid because if that's his process of writing, he would be aware of what's happening. I just don't know if the rules make sense. Oh, okay, here's the thing. The rules don't make sense because it's sleepwalkers. But <laughs> anyways, the point is the thing chokes him and that's his problem. What I was impressed about this dream house they keep visiting is that no one referred to it as a memory palace the entire episode. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, it's been 42 days without our REM sleep for him. REM sleep, if you will, to the people in the know. <laughs> Not just REM sleep, to sleep about the band REM. Better dream. And he's worried that going this long without REM sleep could kill him, which, I don't know, maybe. I'm sure there's some sort of long-term psychological effects if you don't get a, a proper amount of sleep. So, I mean, there's something there. I don't know if it would kill you, but... I mean, it's, uh, we'll have to have some sleep doctors call in and, and tell us we're wrong. Uh, he he now goes off to the Morpheus Institute, where you go if you have any sort of sleep issues. It's just a sleep clinic, mm-hmm. basically, that I'm realizing now that the Morpheus Institute is just a sleep clinic. Oh, and they do confirm it's a hotel in this. I mean, I know we had talked about it before. I wasn't sure if it actually was, but they do say in this explicitly, this is a converted hotel, which is yes, it- an, kind of an interesting idea for their like home base, but there's no real explanation of why they have this or how they obtained it it's just like hey ghostbusters have a an old firehouse they have an old hotel you're like okay i mean it just goes back to how badly executed that pilot was (laughs) like what a great fodder for a pilot what a great way to lead you into this team let's not though yeah (laughs) yeah so anyways it doesn't really matter but they do explicitly state this is a hotel he's there he's getting interviewed about these nightmares he's having at the hotel the Morpheus Institute, if you, if you will. And uh, he's just a huge jerk. I mean, I don't know what else to say about this character. For whatever reason, they decided that instead of a fun character, he should be a jerk. But I do think this is a problem the show's had before. I think the writers and the creative forces behind do think he's a fun character because I think they think it's interesting to have characters that are jerks all the time because that's what they've turned all the characters into. So I think that's just what... They're yeah. like, isn't it fun? Isn't it fun? He's, a, but you're right. He's he actually just comes across as 
just annoying most of the yeah. time. Yeah, he's pretty much a jerk. But what one part I did like in his interview with Kate is he somehow was able to guess her uh, hometown from her accent. Did you did you catch what her hometown in Australia is? No, what was it? Wangarita. <laughs> well, there's a nice shout out to anyone who's listening from Wangarita. Uh, top notch name of a town, right mm-hmm. top tier. I loved it. Anyway, yeah. they're essentially like, okay, why don't we toss you in a sleep pod? We'll go poke around your dream or. As for the first time they've ever mentioned, and I'll grant you, we skipped two episodes, but still, they say that what a going to someone's dream is in this episode is called a dream jump. Is that right? How did it take us this long to get this term dream jump? Now, what do you think's a better title for a TV show? Sleepwalkers or dream jump? Dream jump street? Dream jump. Even better. You're just <laughs> taking it up a notch. There's one thing that happens here, and I thought it was the most unrealistic part of this, is that... He, you know, they mentioned he's written, I'm assuming, dozens and dozens of these sort yeah, of horror yeah, books. Yeah. And uh, he mentions at one point, he's like, I'm late on delivering my book. And I, I thought, like, no way. No way that this guy has written so many books that this minor thing of not sleeping will have stopped him writing a book at this point. There's no way. He can't write it unless he gets to his dream office. It's impossible. I suppose. I suppose. <laughs> You're right, though. It was Stephen King. Nothing would stop him. Nothing could stop him. And and the scene where they he uh, he talks about, I think it's him and Kate are, are, you mentioned, he mentions her hometown, and they talk about his process stuff. And my note was, this scene goes on indefinitely. It just went on and on and oh, on. And very like, long just get, scene. Just get into the dreams, guys. No one cares about this annoying character. Truly, that's why I skipped all past. I'm like, let's just get into this dream. <laughs> They send Kate and Costigan in to poke around in his dream house, if you will. Um, and they, they, of course, appear in the dream in bed with Kelts. Who, matching pajamas. In matching pajamas. And he Kelts proceeds to attempt to sexually assault Kate. Immediately. Yeah, and again, it's that sort of... I mean, it, do you write it off of the time period of that's just... It's sort of funny. But man, did, she, did uh, uh, Naomi Watts get a raw deal with her character. She's either condescended to or they make sexual passes to her. That's what her character is there for. It was... Re- yeah, I mean, they play it off as a joke. Like, Costigan's... Then Costigan appears next to him. And he's like, don't do it. And they're like, ha, 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 ha. But I'm just like... I'm like, first of all, obviously it's a sign of the time. But I'm just like... End this dream sequence now. This man is no longer welcome at your business. He's he just kick him out and he's on his own. There's like, can you imagine that was the episode? They set it up in one way and then they go, you know what? Forget it. We're not doing work with you. And the rest of the episode is just them going to like, they go for Mexican food or something. Yeah. You can't treat our employees this way. Uh, HR was going to, we're, we're going to be filing a complaint against you with the police. <laughs> yeah. But that's not how it is. They, it's uh, not what happens. No, it's, it's fine. Totally they fine. They start going through the house and what you kind of, get the senses of this dream house that there are these what they sort of say are tropes but i i don't know if they really are like there's a white cat they're like don't follow the white cat and um any sort of room has some sort of maybe something horror happening but they don't really show it you know it, it, the essential idea is like the house is full of like just basically jump scares and spooks and they are tropes but they refer to them they're actually tropes from his books so they're all just references to a fictional library we don't know about but we don't really get to see them i kind of thought this was a chance to show more fun things i think later on the most we get is like there's a cowboy in the background but he just like fades away but like nothing happens yeah i think they open the, a basement door and a man with an axe is there for a hot second i, I did think we were gonna get a full haunted house episode in this which i was yeah. like the great idea for this show but they never really commit to it but basically kate and uh, costigan are like hey Kelts, let's take you down to your office in the basement so we can you know see the site of your 
inability to write. On the way through the house, they stop off in the kitchen, and Kelts needs to eat a bowl of cereal because he's just like, I gotta eat before I write. And I'm just like, so this is just your real life yeah. living in this dream house. And when he starts eating this bowl of cereal, uh, a tentacle bursts out of the cereal and starts choking him, and they're uh, ejected from the dream. Yeah, and then so they come out of the dream, and they explain that he wasn't breathing properly and they i think they say uh his body was experiencing obstruction apnea yes yes there's there basically bradford rules the whole case a, a case of sleep apnea brought on by his obesity <laughs> yeah and so and there's like there's at least two seeds where he's like so you probably need a, a cpap machine and the guy what's the writer's name in this Kelts. Kelts. yeah and Kelts is like no nah, i don't want to wear it and then bradford's like you gotta wear it and then he's like, no. And then Brad's like, you should wear it. And, and it's just like, this, this is his solution? So his solution is actually just, they're just a sleep clinic. Yeah, 100%. And he has a sleep apnea machine at his house. We see it in the first scene. Essentially, what he does is, Kelts makes an argument that he's always had sleep apnea. This These dreams are unrelated to that sleep apnea that he currently has. It's funny, though. You think their business, they would constantly be pushing people into maybe seeing more symbolism than is actually there to keep their business afloat but it seems like it's the opposite nathan never seems to want a client he wants to get them out at the door as fast as possible like what else are you doing with your day nathan just going back to the coma with your wife yeah that's exactly he's like i gotta go with my wife in her coma (laughs) her her father's there there's something sketchy happening (laughs) i left that other episode to pop into this one (laughs) anyway so they decide, since they're in old hotel, why doesn't Kelts spend the night at their office? Because I guess we've seen clues to this, but clearly, like, clients can sleep over in their hotel office. I mean, it's one of those weird things. that They imply that they can sleep over, but the only person who will be monitoring is Vincent. So apparently Vincent has to do two shifts in a row. He does the day shift, and then he also has to stay overnight. If someone <laughs> wants to stay there, so he's got a raw deal. But it's really a point that— I feel like Vincent that... lives there. <laughs> The point is that we know earlier on that he's a big fan of this writer. No one Huge else seems to Kelt's care. Fan. Yeah, and Kelt's so fan. he's sort of like a little starstruck, but this is their moment to bond and chat over. I think they like drink whiskey and smoke cigars or something like that yeah yeah and they just have huge nerd talk horror nerd talk they're just talking Mm -hmm. about every horror movie on earth and they really they really hit it off because the next day when it's time to go back into kelts's dream i guess he convinced bradford to not put him on a sleep apnea machine he requests that vincent do the dream jump with them this time yeah and i thought this didn't really make sense even for a show that doesn't make a lot of sense because vincent sort of protested a little bit that I'm the technical guy. I'm only the. I'm really the only one who knows how to run this machinery. And and Nathan's like, meh, I can do it. But the argument that Nathan makes is that you know horror, so thus you are an expert. You should go in. But it's like, but does that make sense for their other cases? There's a murderer. There weren't like Kate. You've murdered someone before, so you're an expert <laughs> in murder. Like it just. It's like I know why they want to have him because he has. They have this something fun to do with the character. But in terms of their world, you've already established he's the only one who runs the machine. So why would he go in? Well, that is, a. I mean, it is just for the fun of it. And I will say, when they said Vince was going to the dream, I'm like, great, fun actor. Like, let's get him some screen time. But I, I believe what he says, too, is he's like, I built this machine. I never use it. And I was just like, well, how would you know it works? <laughs> Anyways, the, the, as you said, the point is just that to have this sort of um, somewhat fish out of water uh, moment because he doesn't go on these missions. Yeah. And it's great. Once they get into Kelta's dream, Vincent loves it. He can't believe how real it is in the dream. He's never been inside one before. He's only looked at the, like, EKG readings. He's loving it. He loves it in the dream. Mm-hmm. 
He doesn't know what he's been missing out on. And Nathan comes along as well. Are they wearing matching pajamas this time, though? No, I believe they are in their own clothes this time. Right. Did you notice also on this trip, because it is uh, Vincent and Nathan on the trip, Nathan gets the data glove. So apparently Kate's not the only one who can use it. Yeah, it's funny because in the last couple times, a couple episodes, we noticed that no one had been using the glove. But this time Nathan does it too. So now we've taken away. He won't let her... uh, kate talk about any symbolism and he's also taken away the one real thing she has which is the the power glove <laughs> he's just working to get her out of the business mm-hmm. anyway uh you know they wander through the house they see all this like symbolism from his other dreams and or his other books rather and vincent recognizes them also he kind of knows all things he's like he's like oh in all your books you say don't follow the cat but if we want to find out the way to your nightmare we better follow that cat and you know they follow the cat to a uh bookcase and on the bookcase you know vincent and uh Kelts are really jiving they're like hey check out that hardy boys book on your bookcase you know what happens at hardy boys books you pull the book a secret staircase opens and yeah and they and they do they find a staircase to the basement yeah and it like it's a really long staircase it sort of has a little bit of that like dream logic where it's like much bigger than you would imagine but yeah. they come down to the basement you see that it's it's set up with a typewriter sort of almost like a circular sort of basement with like bookcases and like it's very like 1950s looking kind of writing room but that's the first clue jordan there's not a typewriter on his desk there's a computer oh that's he right he never right, writes right. on anything but a typewriter you're right i i pull back my argument what does this mean we wonder the audience sitting at home yeah the <laughs> audience ripped is not, to our seats they're not wondering no one cares <laughs> Uh, and they look over and the cat is now in the basement with them standing on a huge stone well with a sheet of paper floating above the opening of the well. And they go over and have a look at this piece of paper. And on it is just written Walter Hisloff, Jenkins Grove. And Kelts isn't sure what this means. He doesn't recognize the name or the location. And as they're discussing it, uh, the tentacles climb out of this giant well, grab Kelts and drag him down the down into the well leaving Bradford and Vincent to watch on and uh wonder what they should do next this scene where they stay over that well it's like a creepy looking like old stone well and the paper's floating and it's a fun little effect for whatever reason both Nathan Kelts and Vincent no one wants to grab the paper and they're really acting like they're really terrified and like I guess it's supposed to be played for comedy but I'm like but these are like professionals who go into dreams like they should. I mean, we'll, we'll pass it aside. Vincent doesn't usually go in. But like, why was Nathan acting that way? It was just like a. It was weird. I know. I saw I saw the same thing. It's like he's he's scared of doing this stuff in the dream. Like, well, why are you in the dream if you're scared to move forward? I mean, it, there's this, I think they're doing it as a gag. Like they're, they keep implying that Nathan and Bradford doesn't read horror novels or something. And so he's like freaked out by all the scary jump scares. But I'm just like, yeah. You guys go into serial killer's brains. Like, this isn't, this isn't so bad. Yeah. But I'm going to make a second point. At this point of the episode, and I know my references are probably a little dated for this, but it felt like a classic video game because I thought the point was they're going through this house <laughs> and they keep, like, hitting a certain point and they die and then they just redo it again. You know what I mean? Like, just, just a trial and error sort of thing, you know? Like, oh, I, I better jump this time because the fireball's coming. And I thought that's kind of what they're going for. But again, you don't really see much. The big thing is there's a piece of paper, and if you grab it, you fall down a well. It's like, all right. I mean, it's interesting you say that because that's actually, you could say that about a lot of the dreams that go into it. It's a lot of just like trial and error. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How much can you get away with before you either wake the client up or give them a heart arrhythmia? Or give them a heart attack. Yeah, yeah. But, oh, and there is, a, isn't this uh, the scene though? They go to commercial, I think, here, and then it's Vincent and Nathan being like, what should we do? What should we do? And doesn't slime fly up and hit them in the face? Yes, they get slimed. It's very good. Yeah, that was pretty good. 
But they, they eventually just are like, they, they dad a glove out to the waking world. And they're like, hey, uh, this guy's not choking. So those tentacles clearly aren't murdering him this time. And they're like, uh, I guess we got to jump down this well and see what's down in his, not subconscious, but sub subconscious. And how would you describe it? I wrote, it's kind of like a carnival with big stuffed animals that's in a cage. And they shoot it in this almost nausea inducing way. Well, it's the camera spinning, strobe lights are everywhere. But yeah, that's exactly how I described it. It's like you're at a circus suddenly, but it's just full of stuffed animals and like PB&J sandwiches for an after-school treat, as the note says, which Kelch assures us couldn't be from his subconscious because he never eats those. That's poor people food. (laughs) And this, I mean, that aside, the reveal we're going to get later as to why there are all these stuffed animals, I thought was one of the stupidest things this show's ever done. I mean, there's like the show loves to do, once you have to like tie the dream logic to what's happening in the real world, doesn't add up. No. <laughs> but anyways, he doesn't eat like he doesn't eat like poor people. That's the important thing. He doesn't eat their peanut butter jelly sandwich. It's disgusting. <laughs> He's a wealthy man. Do you like a peanut butter jelly sandwich? I do not. Noah. You don't like mixing. I'm not a peanut butter fan. Oh, is that right? Sorry folks, don't send me no peanut butter. But you like jam? Oh, I'll eat some jam. Good to if you know. Got, if you got some homemade jam at home, send that my way. <laughs> Good to know. Anyway, this dream is too freaky for old Kelt. So he wakes up and now they're back in the raking world trying to figure out who this Walter Hitslop from that paper is. Mm-hmm. And Costigan, master detective somehow, is able to figure out that name was from a high school newspaper's editor from the mid 80s who was in a town called Jenkins Grove and tracks down his home address just off screen. <laughs> I have to tell you that that's the best part is to use your note. It's off screen. They just have Ben come in because they don't really know what to do with Ben, but clearly they have him slowly. He seems to be the, at least the person who is connecting these disparate bits of information to solve some, solve things somehow. But he just walks in with a piece of paper, just like shows it to them as like solved it. And you're like, whoa, okay. You, you would think that you think that would have been maybe something we'd have seen, but nope. No, don't worry about it. I mean, I was trying to think back to like 1997. I'm like, I guess you could have maybe used the internet, but it wouldn't have been as easy to say. No, no, he's he's clearly has some. You know, we we made fun of uh, how they hired him, but clearly he has some uh, some skills that are he's bringing to the team. Listen, blind hire, but it worked out. Hmm. Anyway, they, they head off to this house uh, of a Walter Hislop off in uh, Jenkins County. And when they arrive there, they meet his uh, crazy old mother who has this big old Great Dane who we didn't discuss it. But that, that Great Dane appeared in the dream as a toy. So it's our first clue that maybe these are connected. I know this. You get the sense right off the bat that this older lady maybe has been living by herself for a long time and maybe is not at the uh, healthiest mental state. But I also I hate the sort of reveal this show does i'm gonna ruin it right now they sort of like does does walter live here and she's like of course he does like can we see him she's like of course and you're gonna find out in the backyard yeah you're gonna find out two minutes later that he's dead and she's referring to his uh grave that she you know in the backyard but it it does doesn't make sense even if she was not in the you know the right state of mind that she wouldn't have said but he's he's also dead right off the bat it's like it's for a reveal that doesn't it doesn't matter. You know, it, it wouldn't have changed anything. She said, yes, he's dead in the back. Then they go to the backyard anyway, so it doesn't matter. Yeah, he, she is an odd character. Cause she's supposed to be kind of a little wacky and maybe unstable, but she's also, like, stable enough to have a conversation. So it's, it, it doesn't feel like her character would really have, like, pretended, like, come meet him in the backyard. He's dead. <laughs> yeah, and then, and I should also mention, the stuffed animals we just mentioned a couple minutes ago, for 
no explanation and they never draw attention to it her back porch essentially is just filled with big stuffed animals that i guess she is sewing maybe anyways they're there there's there's no explanation for it it's just like oh remember you saw those earlier that's why they're there you know what's funny though the staff of the morphe institute don't seem to notice them (laughs) No, no, they just walk by them. That's what's funny. It's like you they walk out the backyard and start walking towards where she shows them where the uh, the grave is. And just in the background, you see like six or seven of these brightly colored, uh, like human-sized stuffed animals. If you had just been in that nightmare dream and then you see this dog, which you just saw in the dream, and then all these stuffed animals, you'd immediately be freaking out. You'd be like, what, do, what is happening? Not them, though. They're pros. They're pros. Um, at any rate... She knows Celts because her son was a huge fan and to the point where he wanted to be a writer himself. And um, she mentions to Celts, like, don't you don't you remember reading my son's manuscript? Uh, He gave it to you at a a horror convention he met you at. And uh, in fact, he still has the rejection letter you sent him framed on his wall, although clearly it's sent by an assistant. Yeah. And I actually thought this was a pretty good moment for a not very good show of the idea that 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 had some sense of realism to it. This guy, who's probably not a very good writer, has gone through not the right avenue to try to give his hero a book, and, you know, uh, the bad things have happened because of that, and the mom still sort of was like, you know, he, it's a good book, and maybe, you know, you sh- you read it, and yeah. you liked it, because she was supportive of her son. Yeah, and, and to Kelsey's credit, too, he's just like, it could have happened. I get hundreds of manuscripts, and I don't read them because I don't want to get sued. So, he, like, he's just like, I don't normally do that. And uh, he's just like, do you have a copy of his old manuscript laying around? And she's like, not only do I have a copy, I have seven, because when we cut back to the Morphe Institute, literally everybody has a copy of this manuscript they're reading. Yeah, but, <laughs> well, here's the funny thing. There's a whole scene that's just a time waster, because the show loves these kind of scenes where they're like, do you have a copy of the book? And she's like, well, there was only one and he had it buried with him because that was what was in his will. And they're like, oh, well, that's a shame. And she's like, just kidding. Um, I didn't bury it. Here's the copy here. And you're like, what? Why do you even tell us that? Why did you just say, yes, I have the book? I know. It was it was so funny. And like almost cool. I was like, I'm like are we going to have to dig up this grave to get this book? Like that's a freaky scene to have to do. But nah, that's what I thought too. I thought it was going to be. They were going to be like, oh, interesting, leave, and then come back at night and have to dig up the body. That's what I thought it was going to be. <laughs> that they going to grave rob? Yeah, and then find out maybe he's not in the grave or something like that. I thought there was some avenues for something interesting, but that's not—the show doesn't want interesting. No, no, not at all. Um, but yes, they read this manuscript. It's got the same monster from the dream that's attacking Celts, and it's uh, pretty much— similar to the book that he's trying to write right now like he's just like this is very like very much on par and he's realizing that he has unconsciously plagiarized a manuscript that he must have read several years ago but really doesn't remember he's just it's kind of been dredged up and he started writing this thing so clearly these dreams were related to this manuscript he read and now now is accidentally plagiarizing yeah but they reached the biggest problem in that they don't know how to stop the monster in his dreams because the manuscript has no ending jordan no ending but does this make sense at all? It's his subconscious. So why would he need to have an ending from someone else's brain? It doesn't make any sense. Well, we'll get into this for sure. But I, I mean, they start implying basically at this point that this is all related to these dreams are probably related to some sort of unconscious guilt over a manuscript. He doesn't realize he's been play, plagiarizing, but like somewhere deep down, he kind of remembers maybe. So they hop back in the dream to deal with it, and their their plan is like, we just need to get the ending to the book, and I guess that will solve your dream problems. And they head off to, uh, like we've seen in a previous episode, they can go back to a 
period of time in your memory for some reason inside of the dream and they head off to monster con 91 well was that what it was it was an actual memory because that was the part i was a little bit confused at i wasn't sure because what we're going to learn is there's this guy's going to show up and it's going to be important this kid who's now dead walter but walter comes i was in, like yeah. he's showing up walter's going to show up in his subconscious but you're right it's because they can access memories because in this world there's one con- consistent thing in the show is that memories and dreams are interchangeable somehow. Absolutely interchangeable. You can just access a memory as easy as a dream. <laughs> Anyways, they're back in this moment of time. This is MonsterCon 91. And uh, Walter approaches like a signing table and he's he's got the manuscript to hand over to Kelt. And um, to this point, basically, they're like, oh, we, f- we found Walter in your dreamscape. Walter, we need your help to figure out your motivations and your inspirations so we can figure out what your original ending to the manuscript was to help close this off. And then th- this Walter in H- Kleltz's dream is just like, I am just a manifestation of your guilt. I cannot tell you what the real Walter's ending was to that book. You guys, like, the dream character explains to the waking characters how flawed the fallacy of their idea is. And then they do it anyway. I like that too, because because that was the kind of my problem with it. You're like, even if you in your dream create this character, it's not the same person. And there there's an easy solution. I mean, I say that an easy solution that this show could have established from the beginning to make a lot of these problems at least somewhat work. Which is, they should have established that the dreams they go into in the entire world are all somehow connected, and this yeah, deeper state that scale. they go into dreams. The entire world shares dreams, so they can bounce back and forth and access other people if they need it. Look, it's it raises some other problems, but it solves these issues that keep coming up because they want a character to show up to answer stuff. But it doesn't it doesn't make any sense. It was the same problem in the uh, the serial killer episode we watched, where another serial killer popped up was like, "By the way, here's information," and you're like, "But why would he have known that? The other guy didn't know any of that information." It just like it just doesn't. None of this works. Yeah. It doesn't make sense. I I have to give them credit for having the literal dream character point out that he is a manifestation of guilt and couldn't possibly know any of that information, but that they then continue and do the rest of the plot like he is a separate character who knows information they don't. They just go ahead and do it anyway after pointing out that they can't do that. Yeah. So, yeah, we get to like... uh, We head back to Walter's house. Yeah, you find his mother. His mother shows up and you kind of get the sense that like the mother was really involved, but they haven't established that at all in the episode. And she has sort of um, these tentacles slowly kind of coming out of her. You see like under her dress. They're under her skirts. (laughs) Yeah, implying that... I know it's very very Japanese, but uh, sort of implying that she is the monster or she's connected to the monster in some way, even though they haven't even hinted at that yeah. before. I mean, essentially, they're able to figure out based on nothing that Walter's relationship with his mother was contentious and that she was overbearing to him and that in his book, I guess they're, I guess maybe we're supposed to get it from the manuscript they read and the like 20 minutes they spent with his mother, they're able to interpret their relationship. And this book is all about his relationship with his mother. And essentially, Kelts is just like, well, this is the salt, the salt's my dream. And he takes the Walter character aside and he explains to him, he's just like, a writer can be a son of a bitch to anybody he wants, but not to his mother. You need to go apologize to your mother (laughs) to solve all my problems. Yeah. And then Walter's like, okay, I'll make you a deal. I'll kind of pretend to forgive my mother if you finish my book for me. And Kelts is like, deal. Good, Good deal. So we get a scene where... This Walter, this fictitious Walter character goes and hugs and tells his fictitious mother dream character that he loves her. 
And Kelts goes and sits at a typewriter and types up the ending to this novel he's been trying to write for days or months or however long. And the ending to his novel is that love defeats the monster. And I'm like, this is a terrible novel. Yeah. Well, I mean, they never said he had to finish it in a way that was good. He just That's like, true. just finish it. But essentially what's happened is by confronting his guilt and then also providing closure to two dream characters uh, that are in his own subconscious that don't help the real characters who were once alive, he's his dream problem is solved. And we see him sleeping in his dream pod with the Morpheus staff standing over him. They're like, he's been asleep for 10 hours. He's finally getting that REM sleep he needs. End scene. Roll credits. That's the episode. It, my, my last note was, dumb episode, but at least it wasn't a drag. You know what? It honestly could have been even with the like insane dream logic of it if Kaltz weren't quite the jerk he they they wrote him as it could have been a really fun episode but they constantly like sour the milk like it's it's a fun idea almost well ex almost fun not well executed but almost fun executed but just because they've made that Kaltz character so unlikable it's like why like it's tough to really commit to the episode you are right though because I don't know what the choice added. It wasn't that he learned, as cheesy as it would have been, that he learned to be a better person and thus rectified some wrong he did. Because, one, like he's just a jerk, so there there's no goal here to make him a better person. And also, he didn't really do anything wrong. It's not like he had brought up this protege and promised him that he would help him with his book and then discarded him. It's, it's like, oh, it, here's a book I don't remember, so there's this issue that is kind of an issue so it's just like i don't know what the point of any of it was i mean it's the one thing i did like is i thought they were gonna like the big reveals me like he's a plagiarist he stole all his novels but they don't do that they're just like this is just a man who subconsciously absorbed a piece of media and now is re rehashing it it happens all the time like people accidentally do that which i thought was a fine for a story about someone's creativity it just never really connected properly. Yeah. I mean, really what would have been fun is just to have gone into a horror house. And like you said, it just be like a, a fun house. That'd be yeah. the f- most fun part of this episode. If, if you're not going to make any logic sense, why not just have fun with it? Well, let's just rate this then. It seems like we're ready to go. Jordan, what do you, what do you want to give Sub Subconscious? Not a great episode, but for this show, at least it had a semblance of fun and it wasn't as dour as normal, even if it didn't really work. So I'm, I'm going to be generous. I'm going to give it a five out of 10. Five out of 10. I mean, I feel the same way. It's probably the best episode they've managed to accomplish. You're probably right. Yeah. If you if you ignore the fact that that one episode with the man with multiple personalities was the most insane episode, which made it funner <laughs> than this one. But um, unfortunately, it, it really is that Kelt's character. They made him yeah. so unlikable, but also like I had to cheer for him. And like, you're right. He doesn't learn anything at the end of the story. In fact, at the end of the story, he states, I'm allowed to be an asshole because I am rich and a writer. I'm like, that's not true. <laughs> Yeah. Would it have solved it if John Lithgow was playing him? It would have softened it for sure. (laughs) I will give it to this actor. That actor did a great job. I really like that actor doing that role. Yeah, I agree. But, you know, still tough role. I'm going to go to a 4.5. 4.5. I'll acknowledge that it's the best they've ever done. So I think our our rating for this show has has gone up slightly after after these two. We're probably closer to a 4 now at a 4 to 10. Do you want to find out? Yeah, let's find out. Let's punch it in. All right, Jordan, the final rating for Sleepwalkers is 3.87. So yeah, not not much better than it was before. 
I think I said this in the previous episode, I had kind of hoped that this was going to be something that maybe didn't air very well or um, got lost in the shuffle and maybe it, it had more merit or it didn't get its due. But after you watch, you watch it, you realize it just never came together despite the best efforts of the cast. And I'm assuming writers wanted it to be better. It just wasn't a terribly good idea to begin with. And the execution is so much worse than the than the idea is and it just becomes a really forgettable show at best i mean you gotta just watching this was it was so bad and you got to admire how how well that uh what's his name goyer mm-hmm. david goyer Goyer's really failed his way up hasn't he just fails yes, his way has. to the top because <laughs> yeah. this should have got him kicked out of making things <laughs> yeah it's bad but you, you mentioned it before if there's one episode that you should watch because I I wouldn't recommend this to anyone and I, I I assume you wouldn't either. But if someone was like, I want to know what the show's like, the episode to watch is the dude with the multiple personalities. That's the episode. So, so crazy that episode yeah. doesn't make an ounce of sense, but uh, insane. So I mean, that's Sleepwalkers. That's it. That's it, baby. We're done. Um. So uh, that wraps it up. You can of course email us um thoughts on dreams at continuedrag at gmail <laughs> If people emailed us and told us about their dreams, that's a more interesting conversation than emailing us about this show. I'd rather hear about your dream because it probably makes more sense than Sleepwalkers. Oh, if we had spent all this time just talking about each other's dreams, it would have been more interesting. <laughs> uh, but that's the email address. We're going to have clips from the show on the social media platforms. That's at Continue Drawing on Instagram and Twitter. So you can check out some clips. People getting slimed. Tentacles. Tentacles, so many tentacles. Yeah. Who knows what'll be in there? Matching pajamas, maybe? <laughs> oh, yeah, those matching pajamas. <laughs> uh, but uh, that's about that. So, Jordan, it's hard to end these things. It's so nice to spend this time with everyone, and I forget how I end these things, so I just keep rattling on. Um, but until next time, uh, I will see you later, and listener, <laughs> bye. Is that how it ends? I don't remember. Yes. <laughs> and scene. Continuum Drag is recorded in Toronto, Ontario. Theme music by James Rex Seedler, produced by Jordan Dulloch and Luke Black. Special thanks to Aaron Hughes.